0: Alright, so this morning we are continuing now in our series entitled At the Crossroads. We've got it. In this series we've been looking at uh, people or groups of people who come to a crossroads with God, a point of decision where they've either got to follow God's way, follow God's plan and His ideas, or follow their own way, their own uh, ideas. All right. And so today we're going to look at a group of people. This is a group of people who came to a crossroads when they received a revelation from God, who followed God's path even when it was difficult, and who in the end received even greater rewards and greater revelation because they followed God's path. And these people were the magi. And you know what? I'm excited about this message because not only is it a message about some people who came to a crossroads with God and made the right choices, but it's also a transition into our Christmas messages as well. And you all know that I love Christmas, right? Oh, I hope somebody else does too, right? I mean, I love the lights. I love the music. I love the decorations, all the family stuff. But especially, I love the message of Christmas. Because Christmas says very loudly that God loves the world. God so loved the world that he gave the first Christmas gift, right? That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you know what? I think the world knows it too. I mean, uh, more songs more poems, more books, more stories, more movies have been written about Christmas in more languages than any other season of the year, right? Christmas says, God loves you. And so today we look at the Magi, and their story is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter two. Could you bow in prayer for just a moment as we look at the word of God this morning? Oh, dear Heavenly Father, God, this is your word. It's life for our spirits. It's bread for our souls. God, open our hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, now let's unpack it. We're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 2, and we'll just unpack it as we go. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verses 1 and 2. And it says this After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Okay, so now, wait just a minute right there, I think, all right? Because right out of the starting gate, this is all very sudden and shocking to me. You know, I want you to read this story for a minute like you've never read it before, like you're reading this for the very first time. And so the verse right before this, right, the last verse in chapter 1 says that Mary gave birth to Jesus and um, to this baby who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and Joseph gave him the name Jesus. And the very next verse, we have these magi showing up. And so let's just unpack it a little bit and see what's here. So um, there's a few things I want you to notice right off the bat. First, notice King Herod here. It says that this was um, the time, during the time of King Herod. This was Herod the Great. And we know from history that he died around 4 BC, right? And so that's about the time Jesus was born. And uh, um, he, he's the one who built the magnificent temple in Jerusalem. And really, that's the only great thing that he really ever did, because this Herod was a maniacal despot. He was exceedingly uh, fearful and suspicious, and he executed anyone who he even suspected of plotting against him, including three of his ten wives, two of his sons, his father-in-law, 45 members of the Sanhedrin, hundreds of family and staff, and thousands of his subjects. I mean, he was hated by and despised by nearly everybody. I mean, he was so twisted and maniacal that Caesar once commented that it was safer to be an animal in Herod's stalls than it was to be a son in Herod's house. I mean, he was a very, very bad, bad man. And so the Magi, notice the Magi next. It says that Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. And so the first question is this. I mean, what's a Magi? Yeah, some translations call them wise men uh, from the East, and you know that's a good start, uh, uh, but it doesn't really capture everything that they were. They were indeed considered to be wise, educated, and learned people, uh, like you know, maybe people today who have their doctorates and who teach in some of the best universities, right? but they were also powerful people. I mean, they, they weren't kings, like the song says, you know, we three kings of Orient are, they weren't kings, but they were considered to be king makers. So you needed their support if you were going to be king. You needed their support if you were going to be able to rule well as a king. And also notice this. They weren't Jewish. They came from the east, probably from the area of the Euphrates River. You know, maybe Babylon perhaps, perhaps even as far east as Persia. We're not exactly sure. But it seems obvious that they studied the stars because they say we saw his star when it rose. And so they were at least astronomers and and possibly... Astrologers, as well, especially if they came from Babylon, because Babylon was a center for astrology. And so they seem to be studying the stars for important signs of the time. And it's at this point in the story, right off the bat, in these first two verses, that the Magi come to their first crossroads with God. They saw, in their words, his star, the star of the Messiah king. And so the first question is why are these Jewish the non-Jewish, eastern wise men, concerned with the rising of this star at all? I mean, why are they giving any thought to the birth of this Jewish king? Well, the answer probably lies in the prophet Daniel. The Magi had been exist- in existence for centuries. And if you remember, Daniel was the head, the chief of all of the wise men in Babylon and in Persia when he was there. And his right-hand men were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so... Uh, these men were, had tremendous influence in the uh, Medo-Persian and the Babylonian empires. And they would have brought the knowledge of the one true God uh, to, the, to the east. And so uh, they certainly would have, these men certainly would have had access to the Jewish scriptures. And uh, they, they, they may have even studied some of the messianic prophecies. It's possible that they even had, were, were aware of the prophecy through Balaam that we looked at last week. That said a star will come out of Jacob. And so however it happens, right, they seem to be aware of and waiting for this Messiah King who was prophesied. And now all of a sudden, his star is here. It's risen, it's appeared, a sign in the heavens that that they interpreted to mean that this Messiah King had been born. The prophecies have come true, the things Daniel taught them about centuries ago, they're coming to pass. And so now they're at this crossroads. What are they going to do about it? How are they going to respond? Are they just going to, to get back to life as usual? They're just going to kind of just ignore it and just go on as if that really hadn't happened? Or should they follow him? Or should they act like he, you know, he really just isn't there and go on with their life? Right? And so this is the crossroads they're at. And really, this is really the first crossroads that every person comes to with God. The Savior has come, He's been here. He left the glories of heaven to come here to be one of us, to be close to us, to walk among us, to to walk the same dusty roads that we walk, to experience everything that we experience except for sin, to be here, to teach us, to to heal us, to put up with us and then to die for us at our hands, the just for the unjust on the cross to bring us to God. He's been here to do all of that for us. And then he rose from the grave and uh, ascended into heaven. And so that brings us to a crossroads. What are we going to do about that? Will we just ignore it and just go on with our lives, pretending that that didn't happen, right? And just try to squeeze out whatever we can from this life. Or will we respond to this loving God with faith? Will we follow him? Though we even don't know where all of that's going to lead and where that faith journey will take us, will we follow him? This is the crossroads that the Magi, are facing. You know, and it's fair to imagine that there was a lot of discussion among them. Some likely felt that they were misreading the appearance of the star. Others were convinced that, you know, this was the star. This is the one. Some were convinced that they should seek out this newborn king, but it's likely that others may have felt it was unnecessary. You know, why go to all that effort for a trip like this? I mean, it's it's going to take weeks to prepare. It's going to take months to get there. It's a dangerous trip, and there's no guarantee they'll even let you see this Messiah king. Um, if you even manage to find him, if he's even there at all. And what about your homes and property and your businesses and your teaching responsibilities? Who's going to take care of all of that while you're gone? There was every reason not to go. But there was one great reason to go. The Messiah had been born. He was now here. and The event and the person that all the Old Testament prophecies pointed to was finally here and there were only two options just stay and miss it while trying to enjoy this life and or to go and seek him and find him and experience him you know can i tell you there's no shortage of reasons for you not to follow jesus now i mean if you don't have to look too hard if you want to find reasons Takes too much time. He gets to be the boss. I have to surrender my life to him. You know, maybe sin and worldly pleasures seem more appealing right now at the time and on and on and on. There's no um, shortage of reasons if you want to find them not to follow Jesus. But there's one great reason to follow him. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came seeking us. And there's really only two options that we have. Just ignore all of that try to squeeze whatever you can out of this life and then face eternity without him or follow him. Seek him now and experience his love and grace and his mercy and forgiveness and then experience life for everlasting with him in eternity. Only two options. And the Magi, they only had two options as well. And so finally, a group of them. Determined to go and, and find this newborn Messiah king and and going on in verse two and three It says that when they arrive at jerusalem, they ask Where is the one who has been born king of the jews? We saw his star when it rose And have come to worship him and So when king herod heard this he was disturbed and all jerusalem with him I love that when it says herod was disturbed. It kind of has almost a double meaning. I mean herod, herod was a disturbed individual but it says, when they arrived, okay, uh, Jerusalem's disturbed, all of uh, Jerusalem and, and Herod as well. And now, notice a couple of things here. First, it doesn't say anywhere that there's three wise men. I many of you all thought there was three wise men, right? It doesn't say there's three wise men, right, anywhere in the text. We probably get that idea from the fact that there were three gifts, right? Frank, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But scholars think that there, and speculate that there may have been as many as 60 or 70 wise men and whether it was three or 30 or 70 or however many um, magi it was, they probably also came along with a very large entourage, of, including their family members and uh, servants and associates as well. Or else, why would there be such a big fuss in Jerusalem when they arrived? Because it says all of Jerusalem is disturbed. So it's not likely that three guys on camels coming into Jerusalem would have attracted much attention. And if they had started asking about the birthplace of the Messiah, people probably would have just thought that they'd been on the back of camels out in the desert for just a little bit too long. And it likely wouldn't have been reported to Herod. But with hundreds of people showing up in a caravan, all of them going through the marketplace asking, where can they find the Messiah? Well, that might cause a disturbance. And so it's thought the entourage was fairly large. And then next I want you to notice this. They seem to have expected that everybody would have known about this Messiah. Everyone would have known about the birth of this king. Because look how it's worded. They didn't go first to Herod. They didn't go first to the priests at the temple. I mean, they could have. It would have avoided all of this stir in the city. Instead, it looks like they arrived. In Jerusalem, and they just seem to spread out all over the marketplace, right? And uh, begin asking people, "Where is this newborn King of the Jews?" I mean, and imagine it for a minute. This very conspicuous caravan shows up. Everyone spreads out in the marketplace. They're grabbing a bagel, some cream cheese, maybe some hummus, and they're all asking where they can find the Messiah. I mean, and it only makes sense, really, when you think about it, right? Because I mean, they all they all knew that the time of his birth, all the way back in the east just by the appearance of the star, right? And, and they knew enough to come seeking him, so certainly the people of Jerusalem would have seen the star as well. I mean, there had to have been announcements and proclamations of this birth, right? There must have been celebrations so that the local people could bring gifts as well. And, and you might even think that there had been other entourages and other caravans from other countries, maybe from Egypt or Damascus or Greece, with uh, people coming to uh, congratulate them on the birth. Oh, they're king, right? But nobody seems to know anything about this. Everyone seems disturbed when they ask about it, and the city's getting more disturbed and more disturbed. So there was so much disturbance over this that eventually the news does reach King Herod. And now he's disturbed as well. And this brings us now, brings them to the second crossroads that our magi are going to face in this story. So, and, the, and the question is this, what do we do now? I mean, place yourself into that story for just a minute if you can. You've seen the star. You, you knew what it meant. You're excited. You got your whole family moving and packed up and all the servants all packed up and ready to go. How many of you know what type of an effort it is to get your family ready to go on vacation? All right. You've been on, and then you've been on this long journey, the weary journey that took around four months, and finally you see Jerusalem on the horizon, right? And, and you're excited; you're, you're just about there. It can't be long now. You're going to see this Messiah King, but and but then you get to Jerusalem, and nobody has any idea what you're talking about. They look at you like you've got two heads, right? They look at you like you've been in the desert for just a week too long, and they think you've lost connection with reality. Messiah, what are you talking about, Messiah? You know, there's no Messiah here. I mean, look at all the Romans. I mean, you think there's a Messiah around? If the Messiah was here, there wouldn't be any Romans around, right? And so other caravans, what are you talking about other caravans? No, you guys are the only one. You're the only people who have showed up asking about the Messiah. You sound like crazy people. I mean, it must have been discouraging. I mean, do you think they had some occasion for second thoughts, maybe? You know, for second guessing the decision to come all of this way? I mean, maybe maybe, maybe we were wrong. I mean, do you think we misinterpreted the star with those other guys back there, right? Did we misinterpret the thing? I mean, if no one here knows where to find them, how in the world are we going to find them? And if no one here has even heard about them, I mean, what chance have we got? Maybe we just got it all wrong. And on top of all this, it looks like from the story that they can't see the star right now. Uh, We don't think they've seen it since they were back in the east. And so there's nothing really to guide them. And so here they're at their second crossroads. Should they just turn back and cut their losses, or should they continue on in faith? You know, in our walk with, of faith, sometimes we face a similar crossroads. You know, one day everything's going fine, the sun is shining, everything's coming up roses, God's favor's on you, and you feel like your journey is blessed, But then something happens, something unexpected happens, something confusing happens, and you start encountering things you didn't expect, and you're finding it hard to discern what the right path is, hard to get wisdom and discernment, and you feel like, you know, where is God in all of this? You know, I thought I saw the star, I thought I had God's direction and favor, I thought I was going the right way, but you know, I thought, I thought, but now I'm just not so sure. You know, and the devil starts whispering thoughts like, you know, just give up. It's useless. Just give up. It doesn't matter. Um, You'll never find him. You'll never make it. He's not even here. So just stop looking for him. You're just disturbing everybody around you. you. You're turning yourself into a disturbance. So just give up and just get back to your old life. Sometimes we face situations like that. Situations when it's hard to see just the next step in front of you. And that's when faith is called for. That's when genuine faith is revealed in us. It's one thing to have faith when just everything is going great and perfect and coming up roses, right? But genuine faith is revealed when you're not even sure what the next step is. You're just taking a step by faith, walking hand in hand with God, trusting that he's leading you. What does it say in Hebrews? Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not See. It's when we don't see that faith is the strongest. And so they couldn't see the star anymore. And they couldn't get any answers. And while all of this is going on, something else is going on behind the scenes as well. Look at verses 4 to 6. It says, Herod called all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so Herod here, he's threatened by the possibility of this new king that he's been hearing about. He doesn't want to know anyone about it, though. And so going on in verse 7 and 8, it says this. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. So, all right, now. Herod wants to see the Magi, right? And, and you would think that this would be a really good development if you were in their entourage, right? If anyone would know anything about the whereabouts of this, of this new king, it would be the, the current king of the land. And so now they have an invitation to go see him, and this should have been a gala event. I mean, it's not uncommon for kings to host uh, foreign dignitaries from other lands, and uh, and so these were very important magi from the east, and and they were kingmakers who had come uh, with an impressive entourage. And really, they should have been treated. This should have been treated like a a, a state-sponsored visit, and you'd expect a fancy meal and some entertainment for the night, and some guest rooms for the night, and maybe business the next day. But instead, Herod, Herod's acting all kinds of squirrely and weird. (laughs) There's there's no pomp and no circumstance, no meal. There's no entertainment. Instead, Herod has called you secretly to this meeting. And for some reason, he seems really concerned that no one else knows about this meeting. And that seems a little odd right off the bat, right? But uh, he's also very concerned about the exact time that this star appeared. And I think that's a little strange as well. I mean, put yourself there for a minute again if you can. Uh, I think it may have gone something like this Herod says, You know what? Um, so um, uh, you're here to honor the, the newborn king of the Jews, right? And they respond, well, well yes, uh, uh, we saw a star when it rose. We've come to worship him. Uh, do you know where he is? He says, yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, um, so, when exactly did you say this star appeared? And they're like, well, we didn't exactly say, but you know, it was, um, uh, well, some months ago. But uh, do you know where he is? He says, well, yeah, yeah. But um, uh, so, exactly, how many months ago was this? Well, we're well, not sure. But uh, okay. And then they, they look it up and tell him, well, four months, six months, whatever it was, right? They tell him, and. Uh, and which day exactly, right? And, the, and so, you know, I don't know if it went down exactly like that. But he clearly was, was really weirdly um, concerned about finding the exact time that the star appeared. And finally, after he's extracted this piece of information from them, he finally tells them where they can find the child. So going on in verse 8, he says, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go. And worship him. And of course, the Oscar for best supporting actor uh, in a story goes to Herod for his portrayal of a sincere king who was not in reality a maniacal, murderous despot who was bent on eliminating everyone who pre- he perceives as a threat. He gets the Oscar. All right, he's being totally fake. We find out a little bit later he doesn't want to worship him. He wants to find out where this child is and kill him. So going on, verses 9 and 10, it says, after they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. You know, now, many people in these verses kind of get bogged down in uh, focusing on trying to explain what this star um, really was. How many of you have heard several different explanations? what this star was, right? Uh, Some suggest it was a new star that appeared. Some suggest it was an alignment of several planets, like Jupiter and Mars and Saturn and so forth, aligned just right. Uh, And I think that's actually supposed to happen again soon, isn't it? Something like that, right? And so um, every, what, 800 years? Something like that. And so uh, some think it was that. But the problem with that idea, of course, is that um, it would be utterly utterly impossible to follow a phenomenon like that in the heavens to guide you five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Right? It would appear to be directly overhead from anywhere within 400 or 500 miles. Right? It would be impossible for a star to, to, to guide you that way. As some have suggested, it was a meteor. How many of you have ever heard that? Uh, a meteor. Uh, that's a suggestion that's out there now. Um, that would be one incredible meteor that was just hanging out over Bethlehem for four or five or six months or a year. All right? that, so uh, that, that's not a good idea. Some think it may have been a supernatural type of star. It could have been. I think my favorite suggestion is this, that it was in some way a manifestation of the Shekinah glory of God. Perhaps, you remember when the angel appeared to these shepherds and it says that the glory of God shone all around them? Well, perhaps that glory was visible to these wise men in the east. Maybe visible to all sorts of people, but they're the ones who interpreted it as a sign from God. And perhaps maybe the angel, when he left the shepherds, if he went straight up into the heavens, that's maybe why they said they saw his star when it rose. Right? Possibly, And now, after leaving Herod, perhaps this angel appeared again, high enough to appear to them as a star, but low enough so that it could guide them right to the very house where uh, the child was. So whatever you think it was, I mean, God can explain that uh, when we get there, right? But what's often missed here in verse 10, verse 10 here, when it says they saw the star, they were overjured. And the language is really strong here. Some translations say that they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I mean, they were about as joyful as anybody could get. After the discouraging encounter with the people in the city, after the puzzling encounter with Herod, now here the sign that had started them on this journey is back again. So God really is leading them. God really is in this. God really has a plan. Don't miss that, okay? Because how often after you've been through most of a difficult part of a faith journey you know you've been through the wilderness you feel like you've been through the desert and you've been faithful even though you've been questioning God and wondering where he is in all of this you've been faithful and all of a sudden he just shows up at the end you find out that you know what he was with you the whole time right he, he didn't leave you he didn't forsake you he was with you the whole time and he had a plan behind the scenes that, that you couldn't see and, and he brings that joy back to you. And so um, sometimes that happens right in this life, right? Sometimes we see that in this life. And the, but listen to this description from Isaiah the prophet of how God brings that about ultimately in the next life. In Isaiah 35, he's talking about a time when God comes and rescues his redeemed people from their oppressors. And he says, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Say, don't you want that to be your inheritance? Uh, When Jesus comes and takes you to be with him, and gladness and joy overtake you, sorrow and sighing flee away. Amen. God has a way of bringing you joy. When you remain faithful to him your trial your tribulation will not last forever they rejoiced with exceeding great joy and then going on in verse 11 it says on coming to the house they saw the child with his mother mary and they bowed down and worshiped him then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh you know i've always been amazed at that part when it says that they bowed down and worshiped him i mean this would have been highly unusual them i mean they they were king makers they were powerful people they didn't worship kings much less baby kings and so even in israel the the people were expecting and hoping for a messiah but there was no expectation of a messiah who was a god king or a messiah who would be worshipped right and so yet these powerful educated people from another country somehow know that they should bow down and worship this newborn king I mean, to me, this is astonishing. I mean, what did they know? How, what uh, was the depths of their understanding of who this child was that they bowed down to worship him? You know, I can't say for sure, but I can say that it moves me to cry out, God, give me a heart like that. Give me a heart like that, um, insight like that. Uh, um, if these wise men that had, had so much joy that they, in worshiping this newborn king, Give me a hundred times more joy in worshiping the risen king. Amen. Give me a a million times more joy in worshiping the exalted king in eternity. Amen. Going on in verse 12, he says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. So God warns them in this dream not to go back to Herod. We don't know exactly what the content of the dream was, and we don't know if God gave it to maybe one important lead magi to tell everybody else, or maybe he gave the same dream to all the magi. We're not sure about that, but um, all we know is that they understood this dream to be a warning to them not to return to Herod. And this brings them to their third and their final crossroads on this journey. The king had given them instructions. They were to return to him and give him a report. That was the law laid down by the king. And following those instructions would have been the easiest way back. The main road back to their land went back north through Jerusalem and then over to Jericho, across the Jordan, and then up towards Damascus and so forth. That was the easiest and safest and obvious route home. But God had given them different instructions. Don't go back to Herod. Avoid him. And with this large entourage, it would have been impossible to go back through Jerusalem without being noticed. And so obeying God would require a different route. Likely south, either to the city of Hebron, and then over to the coast of Gaza and up along the coast, or possibly south and down around the south part of the Dead Sea, and then up on the east side of the Jordan River. Either way, it was much more difficult. Uh, And uh, it had some uh, questions, some difficult questions that they had to ask as as well. Will the king react? Will he be angry? Will he send some soldiers after us to, to bring us back to Jerusalem for... Question, questioning, will they have to explain themselves to the king? You know, in some parts of the world, like China and North Korea and some Muslim countries, it's an everyday or every week decision for followers of Jesus as to whether they're going to follow and obey Jesus or follow and obey the government. You know, but in our country, it's not really an everyday decision that we face. I mean, most of the time, Even if you disagree with something the government does on some level or another, you can go about your daily lives choosing to honor God and obey God, right, without running afoul of the government. But I don't know if you've noticed that in recent years, there have been increasing times and occasions where it seems like the government has tried to force, a chorus Christians, Christian business owners and others uh, into um, uh, ungodly or complying with ungodly mandates, putting them in a place where they're forced to choose between obeying God and obeying men. And in some states, the way some of the shutdown orders over coronavirus have been implemented, it's put many churches and pastors in a position of having to choose between obeying their governor or obeying the scripture when it says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And can I tell you, that's a difficult place to be in. And no pastor is really looking for that fight. I mean, we're really not. And I encourage you to continue to pray for some of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing that right now in our country. The Magi decided to take what looked like the more difficult road and obey God and honor God. They kind of foreshadowed, I think, the apostles a little bit later, several decades later, who would face a similar situation when the Sanhedrin told them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. But instead they said, judge for yourselves whether it is right for us to listen to you rather than to God. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And so if we come to that crossroads, may God give us the faith that these Magi had. To listen to, to heed and follow the instructions that God gives us. The Magi faced three crossroads. The first was, will we begin to follow God when he's revealed to us? The second was, will we continue to follow God when life doesn't seem to make sense? And the third was, will we continue to follow God when we face opposition and difficulty? The Magi chose wisely at every crossroads. And they stand for us now as an amazing and encouraging example of faith and trust in God. So may God give us that type of wisdom, insight, and courage. Would you all just bow with me in prayer as we're going to conclude this service? And let me just ask you very quickly, how many of you would say to me, you know, Pastor Paul... I've been facing some opposition in my Christian walk. You know, I don't know what it is, but the choice to follow God um, is leading me down a more difficult path than it really ever has before. And I I want to be like these wise men and choose that path, even if it's difficult. Can I just see your hand? I want to pray for you. Um, And thank you for that hand. Anyone else facing that place? Yes, thank you for all of those hands. Amen. If you're at home as well, I want to lift you up in prayer. Amen. God, I pray for those who are facing a difficult path right now, God. Give them strength and courage and faith, God. Help them to just continue taking one more step at a time, God, in Jesus' name. And then how many of you would say to me, you know, Pastor Paul, um, um, I'm at this crossroads, and uh, I'm just finding it difficult to find God's direction. You know, maybe it's not opposition, but you know, everything used to seem clear, and everything's not clear anymore, and I'm, I'm having a difficult time seeing god's direction you raise your hand and say yeah pastor paul remember me in prayer thank you for that hand and that hand any other hands and say yeah that's me i just need that type of a faith amen god i pray for those who've lifted their hands and said god they they need your direction god it's getting difficult they thought that they had your direction god and now they're just not sure god just help them show them the next step to take show them just the next faith step to take and bring them to that place where they're rejoicing when they realize that boy God you didn't leave them at all or forsake them at all in Jesus name I pray and then just one more group of people quickly how many of you if there's anyone here or at home who might say to me you know Pastor Paul I've never really even begun on God's path I've heard about Jesus maybe and uh but you know haven't really been following he hasn't meant anything to my life really but you'd say this morning uh that Uh, You know, I'm at that crossroads. I believe that Jesus came, he died for me, and I want to walk a life of faith in him. I'm ready to jump off the fence and walk a life of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe for the first time, or maybe you're coming back to him um, today, and you'd raise your hand, whether here or even at home watching online, and say, yeah, Pastor Paul, that's me. Remember me in prayer. I, I, I want to begin to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Would you all do this with me, both here and at home? I'm just going to pray a prayer uh, to receive Christ. And uh, I'd like you to just follow me in this prayer. It's not a magic prayer. It's just a place of starting a walk of faith with God. Would you all say this prayer after me? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today, and I confess I can't save myself. But I believe Jesus came for me that he died for me on the cross and that he rose again from the grave. Jesus, please be my Lord and my Savior. Help me walk every day in faith in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Friend, if you did that for the first time or if you're coming back to him, I can tell you God's done exactly what you've asked them to do. And I want to encourage you, I want to encourage all of us to grow on purpose in your faith in God this week. Get in the word of God. Get in prayer. God wants to hear from you and then uh, be with other believers and and grow uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Would you bow with me one more time to close this service in prayer? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the example of these magi. Help us learn for them and like them, God, when we come to a crossroads in life, help us to choose the eternal path over the worldly path. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone that loves him, said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Have a great, awesome week with Jesus. Amen.